You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Two verses I want to read. I want to share a short thought, and then I want to pray for the people getting baptized. Luke chapter 2, verse 7 says this, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Later on in Luke's gospel, it says, Then he, Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus down, wrapped him in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb, cut in stone, where no one had yet been laid. Wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, wrapped him in a shroud, laid him in a tomb. We are celebrating a day called Christ the King Sunday. And this is the day that we take time, everybody say remember. It's the most important word, I would say, outside of Jesus' name in the Christian faith. Jesus said, do this in So remembering seems to be, of all of the human actions that we can do, remembering seems to be something so close to the heart of Jesus that he attached it to a meal and asked us to remember him regularly until he returns. He asked us to remember him. Like we said last week, a thief on the cross says to Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? But before that thief ever asks Jesus to remember him. Jesus is the one who asks us to remember him first. Jesus needs to know that we will remember him before we ever ask him to remember us. He wants us to remember him. So what do we remember on Christ the King Sunday? We remember the kind of king that we serve. We remember the kind of king that Jesus is. And for those being baptized next week, you are being baptized into a peculiar kingdom that does not operate the way any other kingdoms of this world operate. Does everybody remember the three temptations of Jesus? To turn stone into, to jump off of the And then to worship Satan. And Satan on that third temptation says, if you worship me, I will give you what? All of the kingdoms of the world. And you may have heard sermons that say things like Satan was offering Jesus what already belonged to him. But here's the thing about that temptation. Satan was being very sneaky, and Jesus' light and life was revealing the sneakiness of the devil for us in the pages of Scripture. Satan says to Jesus, I'll give you these kingdoms, and here's the reality. Jesus doesn't want those kingdoms. Pause for the dramatic moment. Jesus doesn't want those kingdoms. He wants to, you ready? Free us from that kind of kingdom. Jesus doesn't want to be the kind of king that he would need to be to be the king of those kingdoms. 
He wants to be a king that lives and rules in an altogether different kind of administration. That's why it says at the end of the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. Jesus doesn't want to be a king in the kingdoms that Satan was offering him. Jesus wants to take down those kingdoms, rescue us from them, and become an altogether different kind of king. What kind of king is he? He's a king who's born in a manger and not in a castle, and not even in an inn. He's the kind of king that is born in a pig trough. Amen. Born in a pig trough. Not in some holy place. Not in a comfortable place. What kind of king is he? He's a king who dies on a cross and rules from the cross. He doesn't rule from a throne. What kind of king is he? He's the kind of king who is sealed in a borrowed tomb that doesn't even belong to him, that he couldn't even afford. Not a king who's enshrined in a pyramid and preserved for all of time. You see this? He's a different kind of king. He's the kind of king that we will miss if we want him to be the better version of the kinds of kings that we wish he was. Some will say, yes, he was born in the manger so that he could get to the cross, so that he could get to the kind of throne I want him to be in. And the answer is no. Listen to me very carefully. The manger, the cross, and the tomb are not three places that Jesus had to conquer so that he could get to be the kind of king he wants to be. Those three places, the manger, the tomb, and the cross, they define forever the kind of king that he will always be. He doesn't pass through the cross to get to the throne. He doesn't pass through the tomb to get to the throne. Those places mark the kind of throne that he rules from. I heard somebody say the other day, he came as a lamb, but don't worry, he's coming back as a lion. No! He didn't do the humble thing so that he could get to the conquering thing. Being a lamb defines the kind of lion that he is. Being in a manger defines the kind of king he is. Being on a cross defines the kind of king that he is. Being in a tomb defines the kind of king that he is. And if we're looking for him to see those three places as levels to get to where we really want to be, we're going to miss him every single time. Because those three places are places he forever wants to go. And we should be grateful Jesus is willing to go those places. Why? Because he's not just a king who rules, but he's a savior who rescues. Amen? So when he went to the manger, he rescued us from a life that has no room for us in it. Have you ever felt pushed out? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like the place you needed to get to in a relationship, financially, in a community, with people around you? Have you ever felt like where you needed to be had no room for you at all? He went to the manger to be with people who the rest of the world has no room for. Amen. He went to the manger to be that kind of king who rescues people from that kind of place. 
He rescues us from life having no room for us. And honestly, Salem, sometimes there's no room for me in my own self. I have pushed the self God wants me to be out for this false self, this shadow self that I wish was really the kind of person he wants me to be, and my real self is sitting out there in the cold because I don't really like it all that much. I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way it talks. I don't like the values it has. It's not looked well upon by other people, and Jesus is forever out there with your true self waiting for you to, oh, waiting for you to get out there with him. <laughs> so even when you have no room in the in of your own life for your own self, and you push who you really are out because you're trying to be something else, Jesus is out there with your true self waiting for you to catch up to who you really are. That's why he went to the manger. That's why he'll always be in the manger. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God is in the manger. When he went to the cross, he rescued us from a life of oppression and shame. For many people, a life where the systems of this world constantly make it harder for you to be who you need to be, to get to where you need to get to, to achieve what you need to achieve, where you have to work eight times as hard as somebody else to get the same meager, meandering results. For many people, it's the system of oppression that we put over our own life. We don't want Jesus to be born in the manger. We want him to be born in that neat and clean, perfect inn where everything is in its rightful place. I don't want him to be born in the mess because I don't want there ever to be a mess. And sometimes I become a pharaoh over my own life, having to make everything perfect all the time and all the while. Jesus is with the smelly, stinky animals, the cattle that are lowing, whatever that means, And he's out there doing all of that in the mess because at some point, Jesus is beckoning all of us to put down our effort, to stand in our mess, and to realize I am the same son or daughter of God in this mess as I would be out of it, and I need to know that. I need to know that. Died on a cross to rescue us from the systems of oppression that the world, even sometimes the church, has put over our lives. Perfectionism, productivity-oriented valuing systems, these are not things that Jesus rules with. He rules with a towel to wash our feet. He rules with a cross to die for us. He rules with bread to feed us. That's how this king rules. And that is the kingdom that you've either been baptized into or are going to be baptized into and need to constantly remember or put yourself back together again with that kind of kingdom and not get caught up in the kingdoms of this world. The tomb. He rescued us from a life ending in death. The cross has white fabric on it today. Because yesterday we had a memorial service here. The cross will have white fabric on it next week because that's the color for baptism. It will be that color for Easter. It'll be that color for when we do weddings. Why? Because for 2,000 years the church through the sight and the, the memorability of color has said that there is no difference in the kingdom of God between a funeral, a baptism, and a wedding because they've all become one in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So when you're at a memorial service, you're celebrating Easter. When you're at baptism, you're celebrating Easter. When you're at a wedding, you are celebrating Easter because Jesus has gone to the grave and robbed it of its power and turned it into something else. He's turned death into a baptism. He's turned death into a wedding. So why does he come to rescue us from those things? He came to rescue us from those things because he also wants to rescue those things out of us. So he separates the sheep from the... And we like to think that the sheep are people and the goats are them. The sheep are us and the goats are them. Right? The sheep are like the New York Mets and the goats are everybody else just going down to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just as a random example. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came to rescue and to pull out of us the goat in us that wants to act like the innkeeper that wants to let people in our life that will benefit us and not let people in our life that would actually cost us something, but those people might turn out to be Jesus. Have you ever heard a preacher stand up and say, if you want to be a good communicator, hang out with good communicators. If you want to be good in finance, hang out with people who are good in finance. I've heard preachers say, you will be like the five people you spend most of your time with. I've heard them say, if you want to be righteous, hang out with what kind of people? Righteous people. Nothing could be far, I'm going to use my hands like the Italian that I am now, nothing could be farther from the truth, because if Jesus did that, he wouldn't have hung out with one of us in this room ever times. This many times. He told us to go into all the world and be around the people that nobody else is being around because it's not about investing myself into the kind of people who will get me to where I want to be. It's about me reaching out like he reached out to me and pulling people who are not where I am up to where I am, even at a cost to myself. The innkeeper had no room. Because Mary and Joseph were not the clientele that they wanted in their establishment. He's coming to rescue us from that way of thinking. To pull the goat in us, out of us, that wants to only be around people who would benefit us. Being the church is about being around people who need our benefit. Not just who benefit us. How do you know this? Jesus said it. When did we see you? When you fed the hungry when you gave the thirsty a cup of cold water, when I was in prison and you visited me. That's when you did it to me. So if you choose, so Jesus basically just said, hang out with people who are hungry, thirsty, and are in prison. And these other preachers, like, don't hang out with people who are in prison because you might end up in prison. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not, that's biting on the temptation of wanting to be involved in those kingdoms. Jesus is saying, go to anybody who's in any kind of prison, a real one, a mental one, an emotional one, a relational one, and visit them. But they might, they might, you know, I got the white gloves on and they're a dirty car engine. Until Jesus touches lepers. And does he get leprosy? Do they get his healing? It changed. 
they no longer contaminate. What if it turns out that the church and the anointing we have sacramentally on our body, what if that's the thing that contaminates now? What if they could catch our cold instead of us catching theirs? Amen? What if we reach out and touch people and they heal? We don't get pulled down. You also know why we won't get pulled down? Because we have each other, not to be cloistered together in a cult, but to help each other reach out to the world without being pulled down by it so we could pull them in. That's why we're here for each other. That's why, like Stephanie, by the way, amazing, amazing word, amazing word today. That's why, like she said, when Jesus said to Mary, don't cling to me, he said, don't cling to me. Go tell them that your God and their God has risen from the dead. Why? Because she, like Stephanie said, was clinging to Jesus only being hers. And he said, go tell them that, that your God and their God. We walk out of here like Jesus is for us and not for them. And he's saying, now you're clinging in the wrong, you guys are so clingy. Go out there and tell them that the God you worshiped on Sunday is theirs also. That's what we're here to do. He pulls the goat out of us by going to the cross. That doesn't just free us from a life of oppression and shame, but also frees us from a life of judging other people wrongly. There's a goat in us that wants to control people with moralism, wants to put people in categories, wants to put people in all these different areas so we know exactly who we are by knowing who we aren't. And he's coming to pull us out of that way of thinking. And here's the thing. We do it to ourselves more than we do it to anybody else. We judge ourselves. We categorize ourselves. We put ourselves in all these different categories, and we don't like who we are, and we can't love ourselves. And when you don't love yourself, I don't know that it's healthy for us to love our neighbor as ourselves when we hate ourselves. Amen? So sometimes we need to be delivered from the oppression we put on our own selves. Fleming Rutledge said that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could be redescribed as the tree that teaches us to judge. We hold in our body the sin that categorizes people based on behavior more than being made in the image of God. Behavior is one of the last things to get to when somebody feels accepted, loved, cared for. Not only will they heal, but they will also heal us. It's one of my favorite lines at the end of this great movie called The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's a, I know you're going to start to hear a lot about Scrooge now, Salem Tabernacle, because that's the only movie I watch starting now. And it's a movie about Charles Dickens writing the book. And at the very end, he says to somebody who was helping him write it, Tiny Tim gets better. Scrooge heals Tiny Tim. And the person he was talking to said, no, 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 no. Tiny Tim healed Scrooge. That's what's supposed to happen between us and the world. We're supposed to heal them, and they're supposed to heal us. And we're not supposed to know the difference. That's the kind of kingdom we're getting baptized into. And we get baptized, and he pulls out of us not just the, 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 the reality of death, but he pulls out of us the things that cause death in other people. The way that we carry other people's pain, the way that we carry other people's grief, the way that we carry other people's sin can bring life into their life or bring death into their life. 
When we hold the sin of another, do we hold it in a way that says to them, and you've heard me say this before, look at what you've become? Or do we hold it in a way that says this is not who you are? There's a difference. There's a difference. We could hold people's sin in a deathly hallows kind of way. All my Harry Potter fans out there caught that. We could hold it in a, in a deathly sort of way where we say, look what you've become, Ron. Look what you've become. You used to be so much better than this. Look what you've become. That is sealing the tomb over Ron's life and putting the stamp of Caesar on it and saying, look what you've become. Or we could hold their sin in a way that says, you and I both know this is not who you are. You're way brighter than this. You're more holy than this. You're more righteous than this. Let's, let's walk this out together so that your true self can come back. That is busting that seal off of the stone and having it roll away and seeing the cherubim and the seraphim inside of it and the mercy seat inside of it and realizing death has become a sanctuary where the presence of God resides. So that's what you're being baptized into. If you've been baptized, that's what you were baptized into. If you're being baptized, that's what you're going to be baptized into. And we need to constantly remember that we are being baptized into a kingdom that is led by an altogether different kind of king. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The worship team can come up. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.